1: Hello, good friends, on this Friday morning, July 21, good to see you and welcome to this week's Reporters' Roundtable on the Bill Press Pod, where we get to hook up with three top political reporters to look back on the big news of the week. Well, it hasn't happened yet, but the big news of the week is still that letter Donald Trump received last Sunday from the Justice Department informing him that he's the target of the department's investigation into January 6th an almost certain sign that he'll soon be indicted on criminal charges relative to his role in the assault on the U.S. Capitol. So what's this mean for Donald Trump, for the country, and for the 2024 Republican primary? And will this drive some Republicans to look for an alternative to the twice impeached, twice indicted former president? Or are some Americans actually looking for none of the above? Well, the group No Labels thinks so. They're trying to get a third-party bipartisan ticket on the ballot. Is Joe Manchin their man? Meanwhile, House Republicans are devoting their time to building up Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and tearing down Hunter Biden. So here to make some sense of it all, that and more, today's panel, Jacqueline Alamini congressional uh, investigations reporter for the Washington Post and contributor to NBC News and MSNBC. Hi, Jackie.
0: Hey, thanks so much for having me today.
1: Glad you're there. Thank you. Lynn Sweet, joining us again, columnist and the Washington Bureau Chief for the great Chicago Sun-Times. Hi, Lynn.
2: Hi, Bill, and hi, everyone.
1: And Leah Eskaranam with her new job now, a contributing analyst To the Cook Political Report, Charlie Cook, longtime friend, Cook Political Report, like kind of the best source for political news in Washington. Hello, Leah.
3: Hey, hi, Bill. Hi, everyone.
1: Okay, good to have you back. So we got to start with that target letter. Um, Jackie, this is hardly Donald Trump's first rodeo, but putting it into context, this is a At least the other shoe hasn't dropped yet, but we know it's going to. This is the most serious, certainly, charge that Donald Trump has faced so far.
0: That that's exactly right. We are now sort of in uh, wait, the waiting, playing the waiting game, and and waiting for uh, now an indictment to potentially drop after Jack Smith sent Trump's lawyers a target letter this past Sunday. Um, The statutes included in that target letter of what the former president could potentially be charged of are still unclear. Um, mm-hmm. But these are the most, uh, the serious, you know, realm of charges that he could be facing. And, you know, we have a general idea uh, of the, the proliferation of charges and expen- and extensive uh, and expected charges um, and are also still waiting on, potential target letters to go out to other uh, key players who were involved with the former president's uh, scheme to overturn the election results. Um, We do know that the grand jury along the way, the past uh, year and a half, really, has been presented with unsupported conspiracy theories that were promoted by Trump um, and reports that were commissioned by his team to dispute uh, the claims that he continued to make despite continually being presented with evidence uh, that his election falsehoods were just that falsehoods. Um, Mm -hmm. And all of this activity comes as as Trump is really facing myriad other legal challenges. Obviously, we just saw an extensive indictment laying out 38 uh, charges against him with regards to the classified documents case. Um, He is facing he's facing issues in fulton county georgia we're expecting uh a, a, a charges from that and some sort of resolution next month and then there's obviously um at this point sort of the bottom of the the criminal totem pole charges in um the southern district of new york brought by alvin bragg mm-hmm. related to money payments to a porn star
1: right uh, and lynn i mean in terms of the historical context I mean, we've never had anything like this before, right, in this country. This is a former president, it looks like, who's going to be accused, indicted, charged with trying to overthrow the government he was elected to lead.
2: Well, we've thrown away the term unprecedented a long time ago now. We need <laughs> some point. new language here because it's, it, it, it is unprecedented how unprecedented all this is in this current chapter of American history when it comes to Donald Trump his tenure in office and his tenure out of office in terms of what he's accused of, indicted, uh, what, what uh, the movement he founded, Trumpism. We're in, un, uh, I'm not going to say totally uncharted waters because the United States has gone through different movements of right-wingism and extremism, mm-hmm. and we come out of it. What is different in this case is that the leader is a former president who now is the frontrunner for the Republican nomination to be president again.
1: Right. And about that, Leah, I mean, so, yeah, he's former president. He's also, Lynn just put it on the table, the front runner for the 2024 Republican primary for president. So what impact does this or could this have on the 2024 primary, assuming he's indicted uh, by Jack Smith or by the well, grand think- jury?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the question now is: Is Trump the front runner despite all of the legal woes he's facing, or because of those <laughs> legal woes? Um, yeah. And I think it's actually fair to say that it's it's partially because of them, and and I it's not just because of the idea of you know a witch hunt or a two tier judiciary that uh, he's frequently bemoaning, but also the fact that. You know, other Republican candidates have to talk about this as well. And now are, even if they're running against Trump, um, echoing his complaints about the judicial system and about, you know, kind of different kinds of conspiracy theories. Um, So, so far, we've seen that whenever a new charge or a new um, murmur, new murmurs of charges um, hit Trump, uh, he either stays stable or maybe boost his standing a little bit. and um I, I don't know why that would change anytime soon. Um obviously, it depends on what actually comes out of the charges or but you know, it's if we're judging by history, um these aren't really having a big effect on his standing in the Republican primary electorate, mm-hmm. and that's completely separate from the general election. Right. I do.
1: Yeah, let's get to, back to the general in just a moment. But so I I I think we've all been interested in the reaction from Republican Party leaders and um Donald Trump's opponents in the primary or the other candidates, hard to call them his opponents. Uh this the reaction to this news. Um Jackie here is speaker Kevin McCarthy who has yet to endorse Donald Trump taking what has become kind of the standard Republican line. Uh here's the speaker.
3: President Trump went up in the polls and was uh, actually surpassing President Biden for reelection. So, what do they do now? Weaponize government to go after their number one opponent. It's time
1: and time again. I think the American public is tired of this. So, so Jackie, there's the argument. This is a, a democratic plot to uh, bring down Donald Trump.
0: Right. And Republicans have been greasing the wheels and practicing this argument for quite some time now. Really, since the uh, beginning of the house GOP conference majority since they took, uh, that majority Mm -hmm. in this past, um, January. And, you know, we had reporting at the time that this was all sort of part of an effort to prepare for these potential indictments. Um, it was a a big reason for the creation of the weaponization committee, uh, that was created at the last minute during negotiations with, um, then just, you know, uh minority leader mccarthy who was vying to be mm-hmm. the speaker um but you know republicans at this point at least in the house have 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 lots of practice at sort of skirting around the issue and talking around the issue rather than addressing it directly um sort of lumping it in with some of these uh you know ideas and and themes that they have repeated really um from uh, throughout throughout the Trump Trump era, from the two impeachments to uh, the past two indictments um, to this this most recent target letter,
1: and, and Lynn, it does leave the other Republican candidates. Um, they 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 kind of don't know how to deal with it. Here here is as strong I think as a reaction we heard from Nikki Haley, uh, which is hardly strong at all. But here she is.
0: This is going to continue to happen. You're going to continue to see lawsuit after lawsuit, indictment after indictment, which is why we've said we've got to go in a new direction. We have to have a new generational leader. We've got to leave this chaos and negativity behind.
1: That's about as far as you'll go, Lynn, as far as any of them go. Okay, it-
2: I, have a f- I have a few thoughts here. So one, let me yeah. take exception to what you said. They don't know what to do. Okay. These- these presidential candidates know exactly what to do and how to do it. They don't want, they they don't do it. If every Republican candidate spoke out, at least it would, uh, the not mm-hmm. doing anything strategy we know doesn't uh, dent him. Okay. Also, when you listen to that quote from Nikki Haley, she is also crafting it that we need a new generation, which kind of skews it towards her and maybe against someone you know, uh, older than her, you need a new, a different Republican. Uh, that's, that's the simple plea. I would think, uh, that she, that you're talking about that none of them make with the exception of Asa Hutchinson and Chris Christie. Yeah. And and now to a degree, Nikki Haley, but she, she kind of said it right, but you, you know, there's a there's a lesson we learned from uh, advertising in both marketing and political advertising. Repetition is the key. You don't just say it one and done.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Lee, I want, and I want to come back to the point you made about the general election. Have we seen any surveys, of, have you at Cook Political Report or anybody else taken a look at not not the impact this is having of this possible indictment on Trump's base, but on swing voters on the general election voters. I mean, is, do you ever a time when enough is enough?
3: I mean, it's hard to tell this early. That's just kind of like the tough reality about trying to figure out what's going to happen in the presidential election when there are still so many Republican candidates and this far out. Um, but I mean, what we've seen before, if we're looking at history as a precedent, um, even the 2022 re- election the, the midterms where... Um, you know, uh, Republicans who repeated um, Trump's uh, conspiracy theories ended up uh, underperforming other Republicans. If we look at the 2020 election where Republicans actually overperformed and Trump did not, um, it's, I mean, just kind of putting two and two together. (laughs) um, This probably isn't great for independent voters. Um, I mean, it's a, there's a desire, I think, to kind of get above the fray and to kind of end the chaos and all this noise um and this isn't this isn't helpful um and i think that's part of the reason why you're seeing some republicans um like kevin mccarthy who are um you know defending trump in one in in one moment but still not endorsing him because there is a general awareness among republicans and from republicans there are you know Look at kind of the highest profile Republicans in government. They are not yet endorsing Trump. And I do think that's an acknowledgement of his weakness in the general election.
1: Jackie, it's been reported this week, uh, I know the Post has reported, too, that Kevin McCarthy is getting some uh, feedback from the Trump campaign, right, for his lack of an endorsement as well.
0: Yeah, you know, I think that you're seeing – Trump, the Trump campaign, and Trump himself start to take a little bit more of a scorched earth approach now that they are healthily, the in 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 uh, well ahead of all of the other uh, Republicans who who are vying for the nomination, and he is the clear front runner. Um, I think that you know, a few months ago, there was a bit of concern amongst campaign staffers and um, even Trump himself about how these indictments and and all this criminal exposure would impact his candidacy. Now it has become clear, though, that it's actually um, at least corresponded with his rise in in the polls, and you're seeing him apply pressure on Republicans who have not explicitly uh, come out for him yet. Um, Of course, McCarthy, has a little bit of a more complicated calculus here. He's got a very fine majority. There are some Republicans in the House who are, are, you know, quite frankly, tired of Trump. They feel like he's still the reason to blame for such a slim margin of victory in in midterms in 2022. Um, And uh, McCarthy is just trying to, you know, maintain, uh, you know, the... The consensus in this this big tent of of House Republicans, ranging from people all the way in the far right, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Matt Gaetz's of the world, um, to to the more moderate people like uh, you know Don Bacon and and Brian Fitzpatrick. Mm -hmm. Um, But I anticipate as we get you know closer and closer to when uh, the American public will start to actually pay attention, maybe during the the start of debates later this year uh, that, um, that, that pressure is going to be amped up even more.
1: Right. So Lynn, um, the target letter was not the only thing that happened last weekend up in New Hampshire. There was always a gathering of this group called no labels headed by Nancy Jacobson and Mark Penn. Uh, their goal is to put a bipartisan slate, uh, on the ticket in as many States as they can get on. They're, uh, talking about a democrat and a republican president vice president how serious is this or is this just two consultants who found a way to make a lot of money off of some wealthy donors lynn what do you, what's your take
2: well <clears throat> this is this organization has been around and in its uh the funding structure of this movement to uh be a player in the 2024 elections uh is has some different assemblage of donors but It leans heavily Republican in its funding base with other uh, centrist Democrats. But the the diehards uh, are there. You know, the founders include uh, early supporters, Joe Lieberman, for example. But let's get real. It is very hard to get on ballots in states. It's very expensive. Uh, Thousands, you would probably need paid petition passers to do it. If you want to get, I mean, in my home state of Illinois, it is very, very, very difficult to get on a ballot. And then what are you trying to do? In Illinois, for example, and other states, when it comes to the presidential campaign, you have, uh, is this a beauty contest where it's meaningless, the outcome, or are you really going to create a party to get on? It's a lot harder to get on a ballot is a new party because you need thousands of signatures more often uh, than, uh, than not. Now, in some of the states, you could register uh, and just be on the ballot, but it's meaningless, uh, probably in terms of being on a ballot in a, uh, in, 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 a le- in a November election, because in the end, remember, we need electors, you need delegates, you need humans. So all this effort. You know, forget what I just said—the technical thing—because they'll figure that out,
1: right? One uh,
2: That is the question we have before us. Do they really think that this is the point in time to do this? And 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 that I think is the threshold question. Do you not? So we have, as we have discussed, uh, in a sense, the the threat of Donald Trump to democracy here. Let's not mince words. This is a particular point in time. And um, it's appealing, I suppose, to say everybody should meet at the center. I'm, who, who's against that? Compromise, uh, civility, the civil process, institutionalism. But you have one person, Donald Trump, who is leading the charge against uh, our civic uh, traditions. And does it help? to have a Joe Manchin then um, run.
1: Uh, But that's the primary question. Leah, how many states would they have to get on the ballot to make a difference? And let me ask the adjacent question, I too, is isn't it clear that this, if they were to succeed, it would hurt Biden more than it would hurt Trump?
3: I do think that is the big question. And and part of it is that the polling is not clear this early on. What is it that these potential third party candidates, no label candidates, what would they do in 2024? But what we do know um, is that Trump has what we like to call in an elections world has a high floor, low ceiling. Um, So uh, we know that uh, Trump, um, you know, he, he has a, a, base that he tends to get kind of no matter what, wherever he is, let's say it's like 20, 30% of the vote. Um, And then the question is, how high can he get? So in 2020, um, Trump actually got pretty much the same share of the vote as he did in 2016. In 2016, he won like 46.1% of the popular vote. And in 2020, he got closer to 47%, like less than a 1% difference. The difference is that Biden got over 50% in that 2020 election, right? And so if if Trump manages to stay around 46%, how low can a third party candidate bring down Joe Biden? How low can that floor get for Trump or that ceiling get for Trump so that he can still win even if he's not getting a majority of the vote, which I think is is pretty, I think we can say pretty safely, he is not going to win a majority of of the popular vote. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, I I just have to ask this one question before we take a break. Jackie, they're talking about Joe Manchin. I mean, like, can we be honest? Is Joe Manchin really uh, (laughs) the timber of a presidential candidate? You know, I think he'd be lucky to win re-election in West Virginia these days.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think Joe Manchin thinks that he could be uh, a potential candidate clearly um, <laughs> right. ha- and, and has communicated um as much to donors in, in closed door meetings. Um but you know when you look at the numbers and the the reality of this situation, um it's probably he, he probably has a, a path a better clear path to being a spoiler than mm-hmm. an actual um, candidate or or then president and you know i think if you look at his track record um in congress so far uh he's tried to position himself as a, a deal maker but he the reality of it is that he hasn't um been as effective yeah uh, and in the weeds on, on policy as i think people mm-hmm. at least he would like for the american public to believe
1: yeah that's why i've been surprised Yes, please, Leah. Can I add
3: something there? Um, I mean... You are saying, Bill, that like he might have a better chance winning his own home state. That's like the big question for Joe Manchin right now, is if he does run for re-election in West Virginia, because he is up for re-election, does he think he can win? And he has a much tougher opponent this time around, likely Jim Justice, though he does have a primary, than he did when he last ran in 2018, which is also a really good year for Democrats. So like that probably is part of Joe Manchin's calculation. Like If he's not going to win re-election West Virginia, why not give it a shot? Um, So I would I would kind of wait to see some of the West Virginia polling also and see what his chances look like there before he decides a 2024 presidential run.
1: Okay, well, there is other news of the week that we we'll got to after a quick break here. Uh, we uh, have skirted around the 2024 Republican primary, which does seem to be locked into place. And there were some wild hearings in the House on the Hill this week. We'll get to that and a lot more with uh, today's panel, the Askaranam, Lynn Sweet, and Jacqueline Alemany, after a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod. <music> And today's roundtable is brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA, good men and women of LIUNA, over a half a million strong. They are kind of the backbone of the American labor movement, very active in the construction field, just uh, millions of new jobs, rebuilding our infrastructure, active in the energy field from old-fashioned pipelines to new solar, tur- solar panels and wind turbines. Uh, and also active in the healthcare field under a new president, Brent Booker, the new president of the Laborers, taking the place of our longtime good friend, Terry O'Sullivan. So we salute the members of LIUNA, salute uh, new president, Brent Booker, and thank them for their great work rebuilding America. Thank them for their support of the Bill Press 5.
0: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job?
1: And now we're back with today's roundtable. Uh, Jacqueline Alameni joining us from The Washington Post. Leah Askaranam now with The Cook Political Report and Lynn Sweet with The Chicago Some Times. Looking at 2024, Lynn, it, it just looked like, you know, Donald Trump's got a 50-point lead and no, nobody else is moving anywhere. It's just sort of like stuck in place. Uh, is, is that your read? And uh, what's it going to take to change it?
2: Well, I agree that's the snapshot in time that is today. Things could change. Uh one thing I don't think will have much of an impact is the scheduled August 24th debate in Milwaukee, the home city of the 2024 Republican convention because that event may uh, just disintegrate if uh if people don't go, don't make it. Trump has signaled that he won't uh, go. There could be could be a cumulative effect that could snowball and erode Trump's Popularity within the base, but this snapshot in time is, of course, telling. But it doesn't mean that that's what and how this uh, this trajectory we're on will go. Things can happen. I don't know what. Uh, But as I say, if the uh, if the candidates all speak out stronger, it could backfire. Because remember, a few minutes ago, I seemed to be advocating that if that's yeah. what we wanted to do. But I understand it could backfire and just combine the uh, Trump uh, political base. Now, other people could drop out of this very good race we're in. That could maybe change things. Uh, there are too many people running right now. If, if we're talking just the political question on the table is, is the... Nomination of Trump inevitable. As long as so many people are running, yes, you have divided the opposition to Trump, and so you have less opposition. So <laughs> this can change.
1: Yeah, and uh, uh, Leah, where's the uh, DeSantis reset <laughs> that we keep hearing about? Right? Wasn't it that was supposed oh. that was supposed to change everything? Where is it?
3: Um, I heard it's happening. I think there was an NBC article. So it should should be happening as we speak. I mean, what's um, kind of wild, and this is actually something that Jacob Rabushkin at Inside Elections noted on Twitter this week, that around this time in the 2016 election is when Trump finally passed uh, Jeb Bush in the polls. Like we are hitting that point where it's not really like we're going to start seeing who the front runners are. Um, And so DeSantis has been kind of, I mean, he's been kind of hovering around the same spot, maybe declining a bit. Um, And so I think like the only options at this point are a reset. With the caveat that um, we haven't seen a lot of Iowa-specific polling. And if DeSantis pulls something off in Iowa that, you know, if he pulls off an upset there, then that does change the trajectory of the election. So, you know, we just have to wait another six months (laughs) to see how (laughs) to see the shape of this election.
1: Uh, you know, Jackie, uh, Lynn mentions there's so many candidates in there, they're dividing it up, but none of them seem to be going anywhere. Is there anybody else in your mind that could jump in and kind of shake things up and take over?
0: Oh, that that's a good question. Um, I mean, I have full transparency here. I have also not been out on, on the road and mm-hmm. um, feel like I can't necessarily answer that question as accurately as I'd like because I have yet to sort of to take the temperature of um, the the electorate and, and what voters are angling for right now. Um, you know, you you see sort of some of you've you've seen kind of a little bit of a schism so far amongst the Republicans that have jumped in so far with, um, you know, like Chris Christie and, and Ron DeSantis sort of taking opposing tracks, Christie being the Trump critic, DeSantis kind of waffling. Um, I think Tim Scott and Nikki Haley have been more tentative. Uh, it, it feels like everyone has, is, is facing sort of the same conundrum that, the huge pool of candidates in 2016 face, which is, yeah, you know, how do you treat a a candidate who's just Teflon with his base and where nothing seems to stick? Yeah. Um, so, I I like some voters. I'm still still looking for that candidate. <laughs> oh, <so> can I <laughs> yeah. jump in here for a second?
1: Yeah, yeah, Lynn. I was just going to say too. This reminds you probably and me of Scott Walker right in 2016 when he said. Yeah, the only way to beat him is everybody else drop out and one guy stay in, right? Yeah,
2: and Scott Walker dropped out.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs>
2: okay, ahead, so here, here, here's the point here. Uh, politics is the art of addition. The Trump base is not going anywhere. The, um, the, there are more Republicans out there that, in a sense, have, uh, that need to be activated, reactivated, if and, and stay in the Republican primary. If, if the goal is to defeat Trump, you go in knowing he goes in with X. That's the base. It's not going anywhere. Uh, this is just my analysis here. And then the question. Then you have a few things going. The field has to shrink, and somebody has to figure out a way to activate people who, because they no longer feel part of the Republican Party, because the Republican Party really has been taken over by the Trumpists uh, in, in, in so many states that uh, you have to figure out a way to expand the base for other people. Uh, so it's easy for me to talk about political mathematics. It's very, very hard to execute it. Just look at our conversation right now. Mm-hmm. You know, but there are different ways to do it. Or you, you know, and I'm talking about the primary, not in the general, when the very same people I'm talking about, maybe stay in the Republican race if you don't want Trump. These are the very people who will be strongly appealed to, to go vote for Joe Biden.
1: Right. So let's just uh, take a quick look here at the House. Uh, While all this was going on in the House of Representatives, two kind of blockbuster hearings this week. Um, One about Hunter Biden, one about uh, uh, featuring Robert F. Kennedy Jr. uh, on the uh, criticism that the federal government is going after the conservatives in social media. Um, Jackie, I want to get your take on how effective these hearings are. But first, here is the Democratic leader, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, with his uh, comments on what the Republicans are up to. I mean, the Republican hearings that have unfolded over the last few days and throughout this entire Congress are a malignant clown show that are not designed to address issues that impact the health, the safety, and the economic well-being of the American people, but instead peddle outlandish and out-of-control conspiracy theories. Jackie, how effective were these uh, hearings, uh, do you think, in terms of public impact?
0: I think we have have yet to see what the impact of these hearings will be, but I I don't necessarily disagree uh, with the idea that these hearings have largely become a platform for some conspiracy theories. Um, You know, you had Robert F. Kennedy Jr., um, who has very publicly trafficked in conspiracy theories, continue to propagate uh, some of those, he of of course appeared before the uh, the House Select Committee Subcommittee on the Weaponization of Government, um, and you know he he uh, I, I think this is you see sort of Republicans trying to ally themselves with him um, in anticipation of maybe trying to pick up some of his supporters down down the line, um, but you know the the other hearing that took place actually. You know should have been one of Republicans most anticipated hearings as if it is it featured two i r s special agents um who were whistleblowers who uh helped run the federal investigation into hunter biden they were um and and they have appeared behind closed doors. This was the first time that they appeared publicly. One of them revealed his identity for the first time. A lot of his allegations, a lot of both of their allegations have checked out. They're fairly credible. They both have whistleblower status. Um, but instead, you know, the the headlines out of this hearing were about Marjorie Taylor Greene deciding to show sexually explicit images of Hunter Biden, which drew immediate rebukes from Democratic members. Uh, it was quite unclear why these photos were relevant in any way, as again, these two whistleblowers had lots of substantive complaints about issues that popped up throughout the course of their investigation into Hunter Biden's taxes. Um, but his his nude photos were certainly not, not one of them.
1: Right. Uh, and Leah, I guess, Uh, It's pretty apparent, uh, at least to me, the contrast between the way Republicans are conducting these hearings and the professionalism we saw with the January 6 hearings uh, not so long ago when the Democrats were in charge.
3: It's definitely, um, I think, a more populist kind of approach, right? Like, I mean, this is kind of the Trumpy, I mean, this is the Republican House majority right now, which has lost a lot of its kind of, you know, more moderate. And moderate might not even be the right word. Um, that kind of, like, is more about <laughs> ideology. Um, what we're talking about is more kind of demeanor. And, um, you know, a lot of the rabble-rousers um, have done well in 2020. 20- 20 and, um, you know, even some primaries in 2022 and races that were not competitive in the general election, you know, super red districts. Um, So, I mean, it's not surprising. This is like the tone of the Republican Party that, um, you know, the House majority wants to set. But I will say that if you look around the country, um, there are a whole bunch of candidates who are trying to distance themselves from this kind of image. Um, I was just writing about, I was just telling you before we recorded about a a house race, a special election in Utah, super red district. Um, and like none of the top three or none of the three Republicans who are going to appear on the primary ballot are even mentioning Trump. Like they don't even, like they don't want to bring up his name and they won't say whether they support him. And they're all talking about how they don't want to, perform political theatrics and want to be pragmatic. So hmm. there is this like very central image. And then you have across the country, people trying to distance themselves from it without actually criticizing it, because that can get you in trouble. It's, it could be really exhausting, I think, being a House Republican or running for the House as a Republican right now.
1: Right. Uh, Lynn, I want to give you the last word on a totally different topic. Uh, it was re- revealed uh, just yesterday, I think. That in Florida, the Board of Education under Governor Ron DeSantis has adopted some new guidelines for teaching students in Florida about slavery, uh, where they must also uh, inform students that under slavery, slaves uh, actually there was a positive side of it because they learned skills, skills that they might be able to use uh, were they ever to get freedom and be able to get a job. Um, Kamala Harris yesterday. Vice President, uh, did uh, speak out about this. Here she is.
2: Just yesterday in the state of Florida, they decided middle school students will be taught that enslaved people benefited from slavery. They insult us in an attempt to gaslight us, and we will not stand for it.
1: Lynn, hard to believe this, but how does this play, do you think, with the electorate?
2: Uh where to start on this question, as you know, this this ju- this uh, dangerous justification for slavery and opening this up at this point in time is a uh, is a calculation to po- that is based, as you just noted, in politics to polarize and rip apart. It, it's it's just so crass in its intent. Uh, but let me go back to some of my other points. In terms of bringing out voters, who will this appeal to that isn't already in that camp? How does this broaden anybody's political base? Uh, that, to me, seems the political calculation that is misguided, while at the same time uh, putting in place in America this, this uh, historical revisionism. That is uh, let the scholars get at this in terms of, you know where did this get plucked out of the air? You know you, the where does this stop? And I think when you just look at uh, how you analyze history and slavery, uh, does this what does this justify? Because some slaves got some useful skills that were useful to the slave owners. Do you read I mean, what needs to be explored? If indeed this ever is a chapter in any education, this wasn't uh, implied in this. It wasn't that these are skills that were offered in order to lead to one's eventual freedom to go out and you know start your own plumbing business, please, a carpentry business. It was to help the owner, you know. So somebody learned to be a cook. It, 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 it is almost it, it, it is not comprehension how much there is now that needs to be worked on to deal with this provision uh, in a, in uh, Florida's education. It'll be interesting. And, and one other quick thing in the politics of Florida, because there are so many retirees who may not have an immediate concern about what their children are learning, maybe the impact is just mm-hmm. to energize and galvanize mm-hmm. a vote.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable that they put this theory forward, but there it is. And with that, a great big thank you to today's panel for um, a recap of the news of the week. Uh, thank you, Leah. Thank you, Jackie. And thank you, Lynn Sweet. Before we let you go, uh, there's always one story in the week that captures our attention, maybe more than one, but at least one. Your favorite story of the week you know, stopped in your tracks to at least think about it for a while. Uh, Leah, start us off. What, uh, what caught your attention this week, your favorite story?
3: All right. So this is a little bit of a blast from the past, but uh, <laughs> one of the uh, signs that you can look for to see if a campaign, a political campaign, was run efficiently or if it had been an organized campaign is mm-hmm. how much money they leave on the table at the end of ah. the at the end of the race. So, yeah. you know, if they didn't use it all, it's possible they weren't the most efficient um, in their planning. Not always, but it's possible. Um, so, Greg Bluestein, the wonderful reporter from the Atlanta Journal Constitution, um, reported that uh, Herschel Walker, the Republican who lost to Raphael uh-huh. Warnock in 2022. Um, still has nearly four point five million dollars in his account, and donors are asking for their money back at this <laughs> point. <laughs> and in some cases, uh, uh, it looks like they are they are getting that, that money back. Uh, so it's a fun read in the Atlanta Journal Constitution, Greg Bluestein. Highly recommend.
1: I like that. They deserve it back, right? <laughs> they gave it to be spent in that race and it wasn't spent. So
3: yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah well, I don't know.
1: We'll see what happens. How about you, Jackie? <laughs> uh, your your particularly favorite story of the week.
0: Well, um, this is a few weeks old by now, and hopefully, everyone listening has already read it. But I, I had interviewed the legendary WaPo sports columnist Sally Jenkins this week because her oh, new book, yeah, is out, which I highly recommend. And um, in advance of that interview, I reread the brilliant profile she did of Martina Navratilova and Chris Mm. Everts, which is just a beautiful uh, story on on friendship and, you know, overcoming cancer and loss and grief and it's just, it's a really memorable uh, gripping story and everyone should read it.
1: All right. Good. You know, Sally Jenkins is one of the best reporters I think we have. Um she is. great, great person. Look forward to reading her new book as well. Uh and Lynn Sweet, uh, that has been something that uh, you particularly enjoyed this week.
2: Well, two two things. Uh one is the spectacular Chicago Sun Times uh coverage of the unfolding uh s- sports scandal at Northwestern uh mm. and the hazing uh the hazing scandals. Uh, in the different teams, particularly in the uh, school football team, it's uh, broken by the student newspaper, the Daily Northwestern, and and we're giving a tremendous coverage to it. But just the the in the, the event that happened this week that did that I, I watched with interest was the Republican-led Judiciary Committee having Robert Kennedy as a witness. Yeah. You, you yeah. totally at their hearing, and uh, Kennedy's who says he is a Democrat running for the Democratic nomination, letting himself be used in a Republican hearing as a Republican witness. And sitting behind him was his campaign manager.
1: <laughs> you know yes. where I'm
2: going, former, right. former Democratic member of the House of Ohio, who is Dennis Kucinich, who we hear in the hearing where the chairman is, is Republican uh, rep from Ohio, Jim Jordan. They're pretty good. You know, Dennis Kucinich and Jordan are friends. And I went back and forth about <clears throat> their, their friendship. Uh, I know that uh, Kennedy's nephew, Jack Schlossberg came out. I think it was on Instagram to uh, in the last day or so, or maybe this morning uh, deploring his uncle for doing this. But if you, you just want to see how uh, just one Easy to watch, not easy in a sense, but if you want to, in an efficient, time-saving way, look at how politics can work. You look at how Kennedy allowed himself to be exploited by Republicans for his particular end, which will not lead up to being the Democratic nominee.
1: Right. Yeah, I thought it was a sad moment for the Kennedy family and for America. But uh, you're right. He let himself be used and I don't pay the consequences. Uh, so I got to tell you, my favorite story of the week was the ad that Joe B- the Biden campaign uh, oh, yeah. released. Oh, yeah. they, <laughs> they found out about a speech Marjorie Taylor Greene gave where she accused Biden of wanting to complete the legacy, uh, the work of FDR and LBJ. Joe Biden wrapped it up and put it out as an ad for his campaign. Here's just a little clip of Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's attacking uh, Joe Biden.
3: Joe Biden had the largest public investment in social infrastructure and environmental programs that is actually finishing what FDR started, that LBJ expanded on. And Joe Biden is attempting to complete programs to address education, medical care, urban problems, rural poverty, transportation, Medicare, Medicaid, labor unions. And he still is working on it. (laughs)
1: Of course, Joe Biden put that out uh, with the tag, I endorse, my name is Joe Biden, and I endorse this message. Uh, It got 40, so far, I've seen 40 million views uh, online. So (laughs) Biden (laughs) turned that around to his own advantage, which I thought was just a funny moment in politics. And and a very, very, uh, I thought smart strategy on the part of of the biden people who ever had that idea uh and that's it for today's reporters roundtable again a great big thank you to leah scaran from the cook political report Jacqueline alemania from the washington post and lynn sweet from the chicago sun times a thank you to our panel and a thanks to all of you for joining us today hope you have a great weekend two big movies out this weekend barbie and oppenheimer So uh, go try to see them both. Um, Remember movies, we used to do that before COVID. Now we can get back into it. Uh, We will be back on Tuesday with the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. We're going to be talking to Norm Eisen, who was the ethics czar in the Obama White House, talking to him about all the implications of Trump's likely indictment on the January 6th charges. That's next Tuesday. So have a great weekend, everybody. Try to stay cool and come back and see us on Tuesday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.